process and for meeting many of the leaders in the church. And a big change for us, big change for you. And we're praying that God would do some wonderful things through us for his glory. It was great to worship with you this morning and to hear your hearts as you sung out praise to him. Um, I thought this morning I would just share with you one of my favorite verses. Any of you have a favorite verse in the Bible? Okay, two of you. That's great. Um, uh, but this isn't my very, very favorite verse, okay? I got my very favorite verse. It's the verse I kind of put on the bottom of my email sometimes and on cards and, you know, all those kinds of things. But this has been growing. It's kind of my newer verse. It's in my top five um, favorite verses. And we like favorite verses because they say something to us. And uh, I don't know if you ever know who Tim Hawkins is, but Tim Hawkins is a comedian. And Tim Hawkins uh, was uh, speaking one time in front of a, a group of 2,000 people. He's uh, doing his show. And at the end of the show, he gets all done. You know, everybody's been laughing at him because that's what he's wanting to do with them. And uh, the leader of the group, of the, of the person who put it on, said, I want you to go to a back room and we're going to get you to sign autographs. And Tim said, oh, okay. So about 100 people lined up for him to sign their autographs. And um, the first person who came up to him was a lady, and she said, oh, Tim, that was so much fun. I really enjoyed what you did. Could you sign my, sign my autograph on this, and, and, and could you write down your favorite Bible verse? So Tim thought, sure, I'll do that. So he signed his name, and then he, his favorite Bible verse is in the Psalms, but he drew a blank. He couldn't remember his favorite verse. You ever had that happen when your brain just goes like somewhere else? So he just picked some numbers out of the air, and he went to Psalm 38, verse 7. He wrote that down. And the lady was so, so delighted that he'd done that, and, and he thought, boy, this is cool. And so the next person came up, signed his name, Psalm 38, verse 7. Just kept doing that over and over again. While he's driving home after the show, he's saying to himself, I hope Psalm 38, verse 7 is a good verse. Because if it isn't, and he's driving, he's going, God, if it's not a good verse, can you, like, change your Bible? I know that's not something you normally do, but I'm feeling really bad about this. And so he gets home, opens up his Bible. This is the verse that he quoted as his favorite. Lo... I have a painful disease in my loins. <laughs> and so you can just imagine what's happening with the people as they're, you know, I'm going to share with you Tim's favorite verse, son. Gather around here. Let me share with it. And they open up their Bible and they go, oh boy, what does that say? Well, anyway, I'm going to give you my favorite verse and I've got the right address for it, okay? So, and, and here's what I'm going to do this morning. And I hope you'll forgive me for this. I don't want you to use your Bibles. Oh, what kind of guy have we brought on the team, Right? I don't want to use your Bibles. I want you to memorize this verse with me, okay? Now, it's an unusual, it's not, you're probably not going to find anybody who sort of has this as their favorite verse. It's from the book of Luke, and it's in Luke's commentary about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's his record of that. So Jesus had been talking about things like worrying and fret and anxiety that we go through, and then he says these words, and it goes like this, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And what I want to do today is unpack that verse, and I want you to memorize it, okay? That's our goal today. So I want you to say it with me. I'm just going to give you little phrases. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Isn't that a cool passage? It's just, I love this verse. Now, we're going to just unpack it a little bit here. So, um, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If you were to go into the Bible and look at the number of commands that are in there, there is one that is repeated more than any other command in Scripture. It's not love God. It's not love, you know, 
follow Jesus, it's not even that. It's not spoil your pastor. Apparently, that's not in there at all. But um, that's, that's what it is. It's this, it's, you know what the number one command, repeated command in Scripture is? Fear not. Why do you think the Bible says fear not? Why do you think God has that in there so many times? Because we're a bunch of scaredy cats, aren't we? I mean, we struggle with fear. Fear seems to be able to get a grip on us so easily in our lives. Lots of reasons why that takes place. So it's interesting right here that Jesus is saying, fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And what he's really saying to us is, I want to talk to you about something that can help you not be afraid. And there are lots of reasons for, for being afraid, lots of reasons that fear grips our lives, right? And as I, Carol and I, come and are put in this position of lead pastor, you may have some fears about me. Who is this guy? Like, what's he going to do? I've heard some stories. I'm just not so sure. And maybe you're just not quite certain as to what it is I'm going to do as I come to you today. So I want to kind of alleviate some of those fears. I'm just going to talk about other fears as well. Fear not. Number one command. Now, I don't know if you thought about this much, but fearing, there's an interesting thing about fear. There's some, actually some good fear and some bad fear, some healthy fear, some unhealthy fear, some righteous fear, some unrighteous kinds of fear. For example, um, let's talk about four different kinds of fear. One kind of fear is fun fear. Fun fear. That's when you spend $400 to go to Canada's Wonderland, and you get on one of those rides for 40 seconds, and you're scared out of your wits, and you go back on the ride again, right? Because it's fun to be filled with fear. That's why people scream down mountains on skis or jump off cliffs into water. All kinds of stuff we do. Why? Because there's a kind of fear that's fun. There's another kind of fear called protection fear. Protection fear is also a good kind of fear. And we know what it's like in the wintertime as Canadians, right? Because you're driving on the ice and your car starts to get out of control and you go, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to protect myself. And that kind of fear is a healthy and a good kind of fear. And all of us know what that's like. Another kind of fear is godly fear. It's the fear, the adoration, the awe that we have towards God. It's a healthy, vital fear. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? And so that's where we know this kind of fear is a good kind of fear as well. But let me talk about a bad kind of fear, and it's that dominating fear that can sometimes grab hold of us and really grip us tightly. And because of that fear, we become overwhelmed with the circumstance. There's the fear of loss. There's the fear of pain. There's the fear of, 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 of the unknown that we might have, and it can grab hold of us, and it can dominate our lives and one of the things is that God would say to us, I don't want you to have that kind of fear. That's why I'm saying to you, fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And it's like what he's saying to us right now is this. If you are, when you move into those situations where there's that dominating fear in your life, I want you to remember what I've just said to you, okay? Because it will help you get out of that fear or stop you from getting into it. It's both preventative, this little statement he's making here, and it's redemptive. Prevent us and redeem us from when we're in the middle of fear. So what it is that Jesus is saying here I think is so crucial because all of us struggle with fear, don't we? We fret, we worry, we get afraid of things. And he's saying to us here, here's something that I think can help you tremendously. Fear not. Second little phrase is fear not. Then he says a little flock, little flock. And I was thinking about this one and wondering, does he mean little in the sense that there's only a few of them? Is it a numerical thing? Or is he actually saying something that he's speaking tenderly to them? Like he's speaking to them because, you know what, I, you're my little flock. It's kind of a, a term of affection. 
And it might be both. We don't really know for sure, right, what he's saying here. But I'm leaning towards this idea of tenderness. Um, I don't think they do this still, but if you go to the Maritimes like decades ago, they would have like big families. Anybody here from the Maritimes? Anybody? Okay, nobody. Anyway, what happens is at the Maritimes, there are like, um, some of the families are like 15, 20, 22 kids, right? And they look tired. But what's interesting <laughs> is, is that some, you ever seen this where the father will sort of stand there with this brood of kids and he will say, this is my little family. And he obviously doesn't mean numerically. What's he saying? Tenderly. You know, this is, this is I mean, it's a tender statement about them. This is my little family. Or I've heard years ago where a man would stand with his wife, and this is probably politically totally incorrect, but he would say today, but he would say, this is my little woman, right? And if you're upset by that, please send me an email, john.fairchild at <laughs> gracecommunitychurch.com, okay? So, so there's, that, there's that idea. I think Jesus is being tender here. Fear not, fear not, little flock. I think it's a tender statement. It's a gentle statement. It's like he's saying, I know you get afraid. I know you do. I understand that. I want to be tender with you. I love this, this incident in Jesus' life where in, in, in he, Luke chapter, or excuse me, John chapter 11, he, he shows up at Lazarus' funeral. Remember that? He comes late to Lazarus' funeral. And Mary comes up to him and says, Lord, if you had come earlier, he would not have died. And it's interesting at that moment, because you know the rest of the story, right? I mean, he raises them from the dead. It, you kind of wonder, why wouldn't Jesus have just said, Mary, it's okay, hang in there. Five minutes from now, I'm going to bring him back to life. It's all good. It's going to be great. It's okay, yippee, watch this. It's going to be a great miracle. He doesn't do that. What does it say in the text? Then Jesus, what, two words? Jesus, Jesus wept. And you say to yourself, well, why does he weep when he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead? It just seems like an odd sort of response to what's going on there. And I think it's because, as Tim Keller says, Jesus is not going to separate himself from our experience even for 10 minutes. He's bringing himself right into the room, right into that context of Mary and Martha and the others who are wailing, and he feels the pain of the loss of Lazarus, even though he's going to raise him from the dead. And I love that about our Savior, don't you? that he's not going to separate himself from what we're going through. And I see this particular passage here when he says, fear not, little flock. He's really being tender with them. He's saying to you, I get it that you're afraid. I understand why you're afraid. I even know something of that, although I didn't allow it to dominate me, but I know that to be true about you as well. Fear not, little flock. Can you say that with me? Fear not, little flock. For it's your father's. I find it interesting here that Jesus says, it's your father's. Because at the end of the statement, he talks about the kingdom. So you would think that he might say something like this, fear not, little flock, for it's your king's good pleasure. Or fear not, little flock, but it's your master's good pleasure. Instead, he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure. And again, I see this idea of endearment, this idea of tenderness, this idea of understanding. And he weighs in on the relationship that they have with each other. He's your father. I can talk about him as king. I can talk about him as master. But I want to tell you that God is your father. He sees you as a child. He sees you as someone that he loves. You know, the Jews would rarely talk about God as father. They were tentative in that regard. It wasn't that they didn't, but that wasn't the first place that they would go. And yet Jesus seems to go there right away, doesn't he? We talk about the Lord's prayer. Our father 
who aren't in heaven. He drives that truth home. He's driving the truth home that we are connected to him, that we are his children and he is our father. You may be here and you had a bad father. You had a father maybe who was absent or a father who was abusive to you in some manner, verbally, whatever it might be. And so your idea of a father may be somewhat not, not what it should be, not what it could be. And you may have trouble kind of connecting with this idea that God is your father, but he's a perfect father. He made you. He loves you. You're, you're part of his family. And that, that's a wonderful thing that I can talk to this awesome God. And man, the worship this morning was great. Thank you guys for doing that. You look at this God who's out there and you go, he's awesome and majestic and wonderful and special, but he's my father. It's my Abba. And that's so important for us to understand when we're going through a fear-filled situation because my father sees it, my father knows it, and my father is bigger than whatever the fear might be that I'm experiencing in my life. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure, okay? It's your father's good pleasure. Some translations say, fear not, little flock, for it's your father's delight. It's your father's joy. It's your father's excitement. It's this way that he is so anticipating this day, this day when he could do something special with you. Um, we have, as you probably know, five children and 12 grandchildren. There's a bunch of them. And uh, one of the things that Carol and I love more, she loves more than me, I suppose, is Christmas. Um, and because we get to give stuff away. And uh, she does all the shopping. I get all the credit. But what happens, no, I don't. Anyway, what happens is there's just something exciting, isn't there, when you give something to somebody and you're just, you can hardly wait to give it to them. There's just this, woohoo, I want to see their face. I want to see their joy in their lives. This last week, um, my small group and another small group um, went to, spent all week from last Friday till yesterday um, gutting an apartment in an apartment building for one of our family, one of our church, the, the church family that I used to be the pastor of. Um, in in, in uh, KW, this young, this man, he, he's been coming to our church for over 30 years, but I was in his apartment a, about a month or two, two or three months ago, and I looked at it, and I went, oh, man, we can't let Steve kill, still live like this. And so we all got together, and we did one of those things that TV does, right? So from last, from like eight days, seven days, I, whatever number of days it was, we went into his apartment, and we gutted it. We tore out all of the cabinets. We tore out all flooring out of it. We got, somehow got permission to make that happen. And, uh, and we, um, you know, just did an incredible thing. People were giving, we got companies giving us cabinets for free, appliances, furniture, car, like it was crazy what they were doing. So yesterday was the big reveal. And Steve is coming down the hallway in the apartment in his wheelchair, and he's motoring, man. I mean, he's motoring to see what we've done. He does not know he's not seen this, this apartment. We had him in a hotel for seven or eight days. And he, as he's coming down the hallway, I'm starting to tear up. <laughs> Tears are starting to run down my cheeks because... I'm so excited for him. I can hardly wait for him to see this room. And he rounds the corner in his wheelchair and goes in, and he's just blown away by what we've done. And we're all standing there going, yeah! We're clapping, we're cheering, we're applauding because we got to do something for him. It was so cool that we could do that. And I think of our father, and I think of the fact that one day we're going to experience the kingdom with him, this kingdom that he has planned. And he's saying, I, it's my good pleasure, it's my delight. Sometimes we think that God is sort of stuck with us, right? We put our faith in him, but we haven't lived the way that we should, and we're wondering, what, what, what does God really think of me? What is God, what's God's attitude toward me? He's not stuck with us. He's stuck on us. He sees us, and he loves us, and we matter big time to him. We really, really do. It's his good pleasure. 
Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you, to give you. Interesting, eh? It's not like uh, we earned it. It's not like it's a reward for some special thing that we did. It's not like God owes us anything. He just chooses to give us this, to give us. He's a giver. God is a giver. I love the verse in Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give us all things with him? If he gave us his son, how could he not give us everything else? That's how much we matter to him. He's given us Jesus, and there's nothing more wonderful, no one more better than that, no bigger gift than that. How will he not give us everything else? He loves to give. Loves to give. When we purchase something, there's something that happens. You, you know, when you buy a car, you, you see that car, you really like that car. Cost twenty thousand dollars for that car. You agree with the salesperson that that's the price for the car. So there's this grand exchange that takes place, right? You take twenty thousand dollars, you exchange it for the car. So the car is worth the twenty thousand. You're happy. The salesperson's happy. Okay, that's called the that's called the exchange. That's what happens when we purchase something. We're exchanging our money for that item. So when God sends Jesus to give Himself for us, we are what is happening here is Jesus is being exchanged for you and me in that sense. That's how valuable we are. What are you worth? You're worth Jesus to God. Okay? It's an incredible thing that he's telling us, informing us about, and I think that that's a beautiful thing. God the Father exchanged, in that sense, Jesus for you and me. Fear not, little flock. Can you say it with me? Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure. <laughs> oh, you fan? Fear finished it off. You guys are good. Let me try it again. Let's try the whole thing then. Can you do the whole verse? Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Good stuff, good stuff, the kingdom. We don't use that word much today, do we? We don't talk about kingdoms, really. Um, but it's interesting in Scripture that kingdoms are a big thing. In fact, Jesus uses this idea of kingdom more than any other tech term in Scripture. He talks about it more than heaven, more than hell, more than salvation, more than love. So he spends a lot of time talking about the kingdom. From Jesus' point of view, there are really two kingdoms. Okay, the world is filled with two kingdoms. And this is a lot like, you know, if you're a Star Wars fan, then you understand something about the old idea of two kingdoms, right? There's the empire and the rebellion. Those two groups, that's the two things that are happening. If you're a Lord of the Rings person, then you know that there's Mordor and the Fellowship of the Rings. There's always the bad guys and the good guys. As far as Jesus is concerned, there are two kingdoms. When Pilate comes to him and said, are you a king? He answers this way, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom. He's saying there is a kingdom. It's called my kingdom. And then there's another kingdom called the kingdom of the world. So Jesus is pointing out there's those two kingdoms. My kingdom, the kingdom of the world. My kingdom, the kingdom of the world. We live out our lives every day either functioning underneath and living out the values of Jesus' kingdom or the kingdom of the world. And our whole planet is divided that way. That's how Jesus sees things, right? He's saying to us here that we are going to get the kingdom. It's going to be our experience. Fear not, little flock. There's something coming. It's greater and better than anything you can imagine. It's called his kingdom. You know, when Jesus was on earth, we got to see some sneak peeks of what the kingdom would be like. When he performs a miracle, for example, 
He's really saying, this is what it's like in my kingdom. There is no blindness. There is no deaf. There is no lame. There's no dead. And if you see that, that's one of the things that happens with his miracles. You get a sneak peek as to what the kingdom is like when the king's in control and the king's in charge. And when you know that that's the truth about what's coming, when you know that as a follower of Jesus, if you, you're trusting him as your sin forgiver and your life leader, then you know that his kingdom is going to be, you're going to be a member of it. You're going to be part of that amazing experience with him. Jesus said this in John 17 in his prayer. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. I have made known to them and will continue to make known in order that the love, in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus is praying for this day when to, we're together with him, when we'll experience the fullness of all that he is and all he longs for us to experience. John Piper writes these words. He says, this is the soul's end, the blessing beyond which no better can be imagined or conceived, an infinite, eternal, mutual, holy energy of love and pleasure between God the Father and God the Son flowing out of the person of God the Spirit and filling the souls of the redeemed with immeasurable and everlasting joy. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's delight, your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, the experience of joy and delight in a relationship with him. It's really important that as we live our lives as followers of Jesus, that we take what he's saying here and we bring it and embrace it in our hearts. What, he's really, what we have to do is we have to reach toward the future. We know that this is coming and pull it, as it were, right back into our present context. We need to take the reality that he's delightfully looking for a time when we will experience the fullness of his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his righteousness. And we need to pull that back into whatever context we're in right now. Because when we do that, we're taking the future, pulling it into the present, and allowing the future to help our present be courageous and joy-filled the way that he wants us to. Our enemy is fear. And I don't know what kind of fear you may be struggling with today. Maybe it's the fear of health or finances, or maybe there's a relationship that's not what you want or it could be. And God is, Jesus is saying to you, look, don't allow the fear to dominate you. I understand. Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Remember what is coming. Grab hold of what is coming and bring it to bear in where you're at right now. And as we begin in a few weeks together, to move forward for God. There may be fears that you have, fears about, as I mentioned already, your personal experiences or fears about where this church is going with me now in part of that leadership team, what, what's going to happen here. But we're going to keep looking to God, right? And we're going to keep moving forward. We're going to offer those people who don't know our Savior the, the wonder of what it means to be able to say, I'm part of the little flock and I know he loves me and I know one day the kingdom's coming and I want to be a part of that. That's just such a beautiful thing, a beautiful hope, a beautiful dream, a promise that we can embrace today to live through our times. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you today for your love for us. I thank you today for who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross. I thank you for this church family, for their history, for the wonderful way in which you have used them and continue to use them. And I pray for our future 
that we remember that you are the God who leads us and guides us and directs us. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that your blessing would be on us as we begin this new adventure together, for it's in your Son's name that we pray this. Amen? And then some questions will be coming in to Tim, and uh, they will... Tim's... Tim's number should be coming up on the screen. There it is. And you can text uh, questions to, to Tim, and then he'll, uh, I'll turn to him, and he'll feed them into the conversation. Uh, if you're a person who doesn't have the texting capability, there are little pieces of paper and pencils back there. If you want to write out a question and, and uh, bring it up to Tim, that would be fine as well, or have an usher do that. Uh, we'll, we'll get it to happen somehow. But Ken, maybe we can just get started here. Sure. Uh, could you just give us the thumbnail sketch of, of your spiritual journey, your coming to Christ, and then even uh, how you came here to grace? Okay, okay. Thumbnail. Okay. Um, yeah, raised in a Christian home, born in Toronto. Um, uh, my father and my mom was raised in a Christian home. My dad was not became a believer when he was in the army, but he was like, boom, fired on fire. Like he was really, I'll, I'll go out on that. And uh, yeah, so I was raised in a Christian home, became a believer at some, you know, along the way. I don't remember the exact moment when that happened. I was uh, baptized when I was 12 in Lake Nipissing. And um, yeah, really grew, ended up going to uh, Bible school, not necessarily to do what I'm doing now, but more just to learn about the Bible and, and ended up continuing to do that. And then by God's grace, I had the chance of pastoring a little church outside of Dorchester called Dorchester Baptist Church. does not exist anymore. Uh, it's kind of my claim to fame. <coughs> got rid of a church. No, that wasn't it. Um, and, then, and then we got the, the joy of starting uh, Creekside, where I've been, was for 34 years. Um, yeah, so what happened, you ever been in those intersections in life where you're trying to figure, you know those intersections that you come to in life? Your experiences bring you there and you go, okay, which way do I go now? Have you ever been to Tavistock? Anybody been to Tavistock? Yeah. <laughs> you know that crazy intersection there? You go, first time you go, where am I going now, right? Because there's like, I think, five roads that kind of come into the same intersection. Well, we have these times in our lives, right? I mean, you have it at high school when you're ready to graduate and you're going, okay, I'm at an intersection. Do I go to more schooling? Do I find a job? Do I, you know, run a gap year? What do I do, right? And then you finish university and you go, another intersection. Do I, do I find a job? Do I do more schooling? Do I move back to my parents' basement? I mean, those are the kinds of <laughs> intersections you're having, right? So... For me, about a year and a half ago, I felt like I was at that intersection. Um, so at Creekside, we brought someone else in to join the team, another teaching pastor. So I was part of that team. But I felt like I was at this spot. What am I going to do now? Do I retire? Do I you know, join in a, some other ministry? Do I look for, for a church? What, what do I do? Where am I at, God? And I, I spent some time with some of my good friends, who, um, some of whom were leaders of Christian organizations, and one of them said to me, don't do anything for a year. Just take a year and don't do anything. Leave your ear to the ground. And so, you know, kind of let your ear to the ground to hear what's going on, but don't make any moves. And so um, I did that, um, but I was also, you know, looking around a little bit, and I, I'd known John, and we, you know, Grace and Creekside Church are connected through Keto, what the project we have down there with uh, Pastor Fabian and Grace and what's going on there. So I knew a little bit about the church, and we had, I think we'd had teams go down before, and that whole connection, I was just thinking, boy, I wonder, wonder, and I knew you were looking for a lead pastor, so, and, you know, the rest is kind of history. I had, one of my friends, Steve Adams, sent me 
the, the job, not necessarily for me, but if I knew of anybody, that happens a lot. And I thought, what about me? And so I, what about me? You know, I'm here. So I <laughs> threw my resume in, and we had lots of meetings, and uh, this is where we're at. Yeah. You know how Rob was saying how glad we are to see you here? Mm -hmm. No one's more glad than me. To <laughs> <laughs> You've been a pastor a long time, Ken. Um, what have you loved most about your pastoring years and, and activities? Just watching people's lives change. Um, that's the most exciting thing for me, um, to see God step into somebody's life, uh, maybe mend a marriage or someone come to faith in Christ, um, someone get their act together. They've been struggling with something that's been a control over their lives, and they're still struggling with it, but they're seeing victory in that. Those are the things that really, that really get me fired up. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. good. I'll ask you one more, and then we'll see if anything's coming in over at okay. Tim's desk here. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think are the most important attributes or characteristics of a pastor mm. these days? Mm. Any days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they need to love Jesus. They need to believe that um, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, they love, love scripture and believe it's our final authority, faith and life. They need to love people. Um, and, and value people, um, have a tender heart, I think, strive to be humble, strive to also um, walk close with the Lord through, you know, the, the, their life, prayer, um, obedience, um, giving God the glory, making sure they don't take in too much of it, so those kinds of things. Yeah. Pretty much, you know, pretty much perfect. That's yeah. pretty much it, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, but thanks. Thanks for those thoughts. Anything over here, uh, Tim? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip the first one from your son, <laughs> and I'm gonna move to the uh, the next one. Uh, Ken, how do you handle, prepare, and approach the mixed audiences that have traditional slash modern church upbringings while also challenging the young minds today that have more progressive views? Okay. Whoa, big question. Good question. I could go back to Zach's if you'd prefer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, really, I really believe with all my heart that's, that scripture is, is, God's given it to us for, for reasons. And, uh, you know, I try my best to take scripture as the authority in what I'm teaching um, and apply it as best I can to whatever context we're in. So, um, I, you know, I, I understand the struggles that many are having with, with uh, looking at, you know, their, their Personal, my personal belief is that science and the Bible can't be in conflict. I think it's impossible when they're both interpreted correctly. And, and so I, I try, to, try to approach things that way. Some of the philosophies of life, I'll go, what does scripture say? I think, you know, try and address it that way. Am I, am I answering the question or not? I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with answering it. Uh, let me see if this text will help. Okay. <laughs> they have not texted me back, Ken? They have not texted me back okay. for clarification. I'll see if it comes. Yeah. Um, I do have a couple others that have come in, though. Uh, one is regards to your vision for grace. And what does it look like for you to join and lead us forward? Yeah, I mean, my vision for grace at this particular point, I don't know enough about you to know what it is. Um, I, I want to spend some time getting to know you, figuring out your values, your culture, and all of that, and, and, and then working with the team to say, you know, where, where are our strengths? Where are the areas we need to grow in? How can we make that happen? So I don't have anything, you know, written down or articulated very distinctly that way. Um, 
but I, but, I, but I do want to come alongside and see and hear. I mean, this morning was a great learning experience for Carol and for me here. I mean, loved your worship, loved the dynamic in the room. All that stuff is real great, looking at your beautiful faces, most of you. And uh, it's been great. Um, it's been great just to, to be here. So that's all part of what I'm trying to pull together and then we'll sit down and we'll talk with the leaders, you know, the elders team and so on about, okay, guys, wh wh where do we want to go from here? What can we do to move forward um, for God? Because... You know, um, apparently uh, we're not supposed to be afraid, and uh, he wants to give us the kingdom. So let's see if we can help get more and more people into it. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. Oh, that's great, Ken. I'll just uh, do one more, John. Sure. Which I think is a great one. What is the biggest roadblock keeping Christians away from church right now? Wow, that's a good question. I don't know that I know the biggest one. I, I do think that there are... Um, a number of little ones maybe that are there and it all depends on the person some of them aren't coming because they've been hurt maybe in the past I think some people have a misunderstanding of what church is all about um, I think I think there's just a variety of things that are there and getting alongside somebody and trying to understand what they are what their struggles are with with G, you know maybe they think church and not Jesus and they haven't seen Jesus clearly they can see Jesus clear. I don't know why people don't fall in love with Jesus as soon as they figure out who he is, because I, I don't get it. I mean, it seems pretty clear to me he's the greatest man who ever lived, right? I mean, why are we not following him? Like, what are you following? I think there's all kinds of mixture. I think, I think we tend to be in an age, too, where, where in, particularly in the West, where Christianity is being assaulted a lot, and I think a lot of people are listening to that language and, and pushing back on that. Um. Ken, as we work together as a church, you will be working with groups of teams of people, uh, the staff, uh, the leadership board, yeah. the elders, ministry leaders, etc. So as you work with teams of people and kind of plot steps and make decisions, what is your kind of decision-making uh, sort of philosophy, I guess, of yeah. leadership? Yeah, I'm a really big consensus person. Um, I really try and, and work really hard to get the group to come together and to agree on, on it. Now, consensus doesn't mean that everyone is, is in a full agreement with it, but it means that everybody agrees to go forward with it. Um, so that's, I'm really, really big on that. That's just part of the way I'm wired, probably to a fault, perhaps, um, but that's the way um, I've, I've led all, all my life, and um, I'm really, really passionate about that. So, you know, getting to know the people in the room, the quieter ones, maybe nudging them a little bit, the more vocal ones, maybe you know, getting alongside them, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Um, learning from you guys, learning from everybody, listening and all of that, but trying to develop a consensus in the group. Great, great. Yeah. Well, I, I love the next question that came in, John. So, Ken, how can we support you and Carol in your transition to grace? Good question. Um, love us, pray for us, um, you know, give us feedback, whatever that might be um, that you feel can be helpful for us. You know, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't know your culture really well. And so I don't want to, you know, I'll try not to say really stupid things. I will say stupid things. I'll try not to say really stupid. I'll try not to step on areas where I shouldn't step on. You know, I came this morning and went, where are the sacred chairs? Because I don't want to sit <coughs> in someone else's spot. You know, I understand what that's like. Because I have my spot too. And I'll figure it out in the next couple of weeks. And it's mine. Okay. So, <laughs> so I want to I just learn about how that all comes together. So. Disciple making. Yeah. That's our, our mandate as a church, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them, teach them to obey, etc. 
what is your uh, what are your, your basic thoughts on the make of on our major task of making disciples uh, and followers of Jesus? Your philosophy of ministry in that area? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, great, great question. And obviously all, obviously, all of the churches are trying to do that very thing, right? How can we make disciples? How can we make people who follow Jesus, who love Jesus, who want to live out what it means to be fully devoted follower of Christ? And I think um, there are, to me, I, I, there are, uh, it's, it's one of those areas that churches really, really struggle with. And if you talk to a church, they'll back up, they'll go, well, I think this is how we're doing it. And, in my history, one of the things we've done is we, we've said, we want you to gather for worship. That's a really important piece. We want you to be in a group and on a team. In a group means in a small group of people where you're sitting around in a circle and you're di there's a dynamic that's happening that way. On a team is where you're serving someone else or serving others. And I know there are seasons of life when you can't be involved at that level. You know, you've got a new family or whatever the case might be. But I think that that becomes a key way for us to, to help people become more fully devoted that way. Then there can be specialty groups that you can be involved in. I've done, um, an, uh, I just finished running another men's group at, at the church I was at where there were 10 of us in the room. We're dealing with men's issues and we're trying to help those men be, be stronger and healthier as, as followers of him. So I mean, it's trying to move someone along this pathway to become more and more like Jesus, a pathway that keeps going for the rest of our lives, but moving in that direction is really important. And sometimes it means coming along and sitting down with somebody over a coffee and saying, how are you doing spiritually? How can I help you grow? And, and talking through that, I think, is important. Very good. Uh, just a little running commentary over here, John, so we're good. Carry on. Okay. I'm still curious to know what my son's question was. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, how do you describe your approach to reflecting the love of Christ to people outside the church? Okay. Uh, what is your approach in engaging unchurched people when they actually do attend a church service? Okay, well, um, yeah, another great question. I, I, one of the things I have to work really hard at is not being isolated as a pastor because my world becomes the church. And um, I have to work really hard at stepping outside of that circle so that I do connect with people who aren't believers, whether they're in my neighborhood or in some other context, and just loving them and letting, and, you know, uh, letting them know that who I am, what I believe, or looking for opportunities, praying for them so that they might be, I might be able to nudge them closer and closer to the cross. Uh, in the context of the church, I mean, I didn't do it this morning, but often you'll hear me talking to people who are in the room who aren't Christians. And uh, one of my goals would be that we have unbelievers here all the time, people who are seeking Jesus. It's one of the things we have happen at the, I'm trying I'm gonna try not to say Creekside too much, because, but at, at Creekside, one of the things we had was lots of unbelievers. In fact, at one point we had, we would do surveys every year and we would get 10, 15% of the congregation are not followers of Jesus and they know it. They would fill out the survey and say, I'm not a Christian yet. That, that, that fires me up that they're in the room. So sometimes as I'm speaking, I'll actually talk directly to them and I'll say things, you know, how are you, you know, are you, I hope you're understanding what we're talking about. Maybe it's time for you to step over the line of faith and here's a way that you could do that. Um, those kinds of things. And part of the reason I do that is I want the people in the congregation to know that there might, that person next to them may not even be a Christian, but their neighbor finally got them to come. And because they're here, you need to, you, you need to know, and you need to be sensitive to that. So everybody in the room, you kind of heighten the, the cult, the con, the, cult, the climate in the room, so they're recognizing there may be unbelievers here, and I want to be sensitive to that. Um, I always want um, 
you to feel like you can invite your neighbor to any service when I'm speaking because I, I will try and speak in ways that they can understand and I will try and, try and be practical in that regard as well. So that's, that's a really big goal for me. And I think as we hear you express the faith to the general congregation, we're learning how to express the faith to our neighbors mm -hmm. and our friends as mm -hmm. well. So it, we're all in this together. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. Last question here, I think, um, leadership. Uh, not only the making of disciples in a general way, but the developing of new leaders, mm -hmm. leaders of small groups, leaders mm -hmm. on the board, new elders, et cetera. Do you have any uh, just quick thoughts in mind about how you hope to go about developing new leadership? Yeah, I, 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 one of the things that we want to try and do is identify who's in the congregation, um, gathering feedback from those who are in leadership already, like mm -hmm. who do you know who may have leadership potential? And how can, we, how can we nurture that? And so, you know, praying among the elders, for example, as to who that might be, looking at lists of people, similarly just gathering with the staff or whatever and saying, hey, do you know any leaders that we could try and, try and grow and develop? And if they're in a particular area that they've got a, they got a passion for kids' ministry or they've got a passion for whatever it might, you know, whatever youth or whatever, then we try and, you know, connect them to that, to that particular group and hopefully they would foster growth and maturity in, in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very good, thank you. Um, I think anything? Well, I have a two-part question, John. Oh, okay. Do we have time for that? Sure. Okay, part A. Giannis and Dom equals the championship for the Bucks? Question mark? <laughs> Sadly, I think it's likely, yes. All right, <laughs> not a Raptors fan. Next question, part B. How would you deal with people who see Christians only by what they see on the news, such as Christians in American politics? Oh, wow. Great one to end with, eh, Ken? Yeah, yeah. How, the question is, what do I do with them? Or <laughs> How would you deal with them? How would I deal with them? Okay. Yeah. It's been an interesting few years, hasn't it, with COVID? And um, I know that the way Grace handled COVID is the same way we handled it as well. But man, the conversations were fascinating during that time um, as how people were seeing things and how they were watching and, and, you know, politics and the decisions around all of that. I don't know. I mean, I, want, I try and listen and try and gently you know, push back a little bit on some things. But sometimes we all have a certain stubborn streak to us, I suppose. And so I find sometimes, particularly around politics and so on and so forth, it's, it's pretty hard to to sort of change people's minds on things. So this part of me goes, eh, and <laughs> that's what you want to do. You know, there's only so many things that you can do, right? Only so many places you can invest your energy in. Okay, if you want to, that's fine. As long as they're not you know, creating a problem, I guess. That would be my answer. Hmm. I notice you drive a truck. I do. But I also noticed that the <coughs> chair of the leadership board has a bigger truck than he you. He does, he does. Yeah. <laughs> we'll work on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad they let my little truck park in the trucking park, <laughs> parking lots. I mean, that was cool. I snuck in there early. Thank you, Ken, for answering some questions. Thank uh, you. And, and I, I, know, I know you invite and are open to any questions. Yeah. So I would, in the days ahead, feel free to approach Ken with questions via email, texting, or personally in the hallway. I think it's great to just be communicating and learning about each other as sure. we 
as we go forward. I'd like to invite Einer, my fellow elder, at least one of my fellow elders, to the front with me. We want to pray over you and Carol. Okay. Carol, if we could call you back one more time, that would be great. I believe Einer might have a, a verse to share, and then I'll pray, and then we'll be finished for the morning. Rob will come back up. Okay. Well, you know, we've. Uh, I don't have a microphone, but everybody can hear me okay? Sure. Okay. Um, you know, the last few years, we've come through some challenging times. Uh, we kind of got knocked off our game a little bit. And, um, you know, when I was thinking about that, and, uh, you know, even thinking about what you were talking about this morning, Ken, about fear, kind of led me to some verses in Colossians. So uh, they had had some struggles as well, knowing which way to go, what direction to follow. And Paul had some great words for them. I don't know if you can hang on to this for a second. Sure can. And uh, this is what he had to offer uh, to them and um, words to think about as we move forward and with uh, Ken and Carol joining us here. Uh, this is what he had to say to the church in Colossae. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another, at times, with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So let's keep those, minds, uh, those words in mind as we move forward here after this uh, day today. Thank you, Einer. Would you stand? Just picture ourselves gathering around our new uh, pastor and Carol, his wife, and uh, let's commit them to God. Father in heaven, we've heard about addressing you as our intimate Father, and so we do. We together embrace and welcome Ken and Carol into our midst as our brother, our sister, our lead pastor, and our co-worker in the gospel. I pray that your word would be a lamp to Ken's feet as he preaches to us and a light to his path. I pray that your spirit would give him power and guidance and direction in decisions and in service. And I pray that your grace would be upon every aspect of their lives, physically, mentally, relationally, spiritually. Lord, I pray that Ken and Carol would be a blessing to Grace Community Church. But just as much, I pray, that Grace Community Church would be a blessing to them. We commit ourselves to you and your spirit and your grace now, looking forward to the future with hope and faith and love, praying as always in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated.